Welcome to Privateer Podcast, an educational and informational podcast brought to you by the folks at Privateer Rum. I'm Maggie Campbell, and I'm the president and head distiller of Privateer Rum, and today I'll be chatting with Dylan Turner and Angelica from our distilling team, and they'll be sharing what it's like a day in the life of a distiller. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I am here with Angelica and Dylan from our distilling team. And would you guys introduce yourself for people who maybe don't know who you are or what you do at Privateer? Yeah, uh, yeah sure. <laughs> Sorry, do you want to go first, Dylan? No, no, go ahead, Angelica. Okay, yeah. What's up? I'm Angelica. I'm the assistant distiller at Privateer. So my job is to oversee the fermentation and first distillation of all of our product. Uh, my name is Dylan Turner, and I am the managing distiller at Privateer. Um, I'm kind of responsible for uh, a lot of different things. I think most simply put, it would be distilling, barreling, tasting barrels, building coops, um, harvesting, a little bit of everything. Yeah. I like managing distiller because it's important that people understand like Dylan really is kind of a master of all things at the distillery. He's worked every position at the distillery. He knows it in and out and you do a lot to just make sure the day to day happens there. Um, especially, you know, when I'm on the road and I'm not around, um, which of course right now, just for people who might be listening in the future, we are all calling in to do this because it's the middle of the COVID pandemic crisis. So everyone be safe, everyone take care. So if we're talking about things like not being on the road anymore and stuff like that, that's what it's in reference to. But typically when I'm out on the road um, or giving seminars or lectures, Dylan's really the one kind of like making a lot of the calls, directing what everyone's doing for the day. You and I meet up and we talk about the large vision and what needs to happen, but you're really the person kind of catching a lot of what needs to happen every day and doing a lot of the, you know, selecting of barrels now and tasting to blend now. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course you're very sweet to run it by me, but you're always spot on. It's been, you've been with us for a number of years. Um, So it's really helpful that you've been training side by side with me for, you know, over half a decade now. Uh, And so you've really got sort of the privateer house style down and you and I taste very similarly and we distill very similarly. Uh, So it's very easy to leave it in your hands. So the only distiller who's not on this call is Peter Newsom. So he's uh, a lead distiller for us. He's been with us just about eight years. He's about to have his eight year anniversary Um, we call him Captain Caveman because he hates technology. Uh, so I was like, Hey, do you want to do this like interview online? He's like, no, I don't read email. That sounds like more. (laughs) It was very sweet. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we can get him on here at a later date, but he's, uh, he's one of the big heartbeats of our distillery, making sure everything is done right every time. Um, and really kind of keeping his eye on every little step that happens to make sure it's right. So he's definitely a core member and he's with us three days a week, whereas you guys really are our two full-time distillers. So it's a very rare chance that 
we get to sit down like this. We barely get to sit down and have lunch most days. <laughs> yeah. Um, which now that we're like working from home and working singular shifts, I really hope we're normalizing like sitting down and eating lunch and sitting down and taking breaks and like, yeah, I want us to really come back having normalized that in a really strong way and saying, no, man, I get to sit and chill for a while. Um, because I think it's really important that we use this time to normalize what we want and hopefully not normalize things that are, you know, more difficult or challenging. Um, but I've asked you both to come on today to talk a little bit about what it's like to work at Privateer, what a day in the life of your work is about, you know, what it's like to work at the company. And, you know, I think people are always surprised at how close our distilling team is. We are obviously very good friends. Um, we hang out a lot outside of work. We do road trips together and I'm really thankful that Andrew at Privateer, you know, always pushes us to do team days out in the field, going and touring other distilleries or educational trips or going to Tales of the Cocktail, which you guys have both attended with me um, and all sorts of different things. But also, um, I think a lot of people are always surprised to find out that we're all pretty much family. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> uh, it's funny how that has come to be. And, you know, I, I, I definitely give Todd Leopold a lot of credit on this. He always kind of ended up just coincidentally hiring family. And I watched him for years and he just said, you know, family cares in a way that other people just don't. And there's a lot of people who think they want to be a distiller, but when it comes to the very soft focus and the ritual of the work day after day, they don't actually want to do that part and it becomes quite dangerous. But when you work with family, like they're just going to look out for you in a way that mm -hmm. someone else might not. And I, I always was like, well, that's interesting. How does anyone end up working with their whole family by accident? That can't happen. <laughs> yes, it can. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, Peter, our other distiller is my husband and he had, we were brewing partners many, many, many years ago, over a decade ago when we were just friends. He would come out and help me at Germain Roban when I would distill there. He would hang around at Stranahan's and help me bottle whiskey there. Um, and he and Todd Leopold are quite friendly. Um, I think they're so similar. It's hilarious, you know. And so he learned quite a bit about distilling from him. And we started to get really busy at the distillery back in like 2012. And that was a really busy time for a lot of these third wave craft distilleries to open. So there weren't a lot of people to hire. There was certainly no one with any experience and the poaching was getting really serious. So I was very worried that when I hired someone and trained them, they would instantly be poached for a head distiller job as soon as they knew what distilling even was. Um, and so it took us so long in this interviewing process because everyone we would interview would end up getting an offer or disappearing or something. And I just started asking Pete to help out on the side. And very quickly, we could not run the distillery without him. And the first time someone kind of jokingly tried to poach him, I think Andrew saw like, if you guys are married, it's very unlikely <laughs> that he will get uh, taken away from us. Because of course, like mm -hmm. as a business owner, you worry like, oh, well, if all my employees are family, like, are like, well, how's that going to go for me? And I think he just always trusted that it would be fine and that it was actually a huge asset. And for me and Pete, who were the original core team, when he yells out across the room, like, hey, 
I know exactly if that hey means listen to this cool song, I have a funny joke, or my arm's about to be ripped off by this barrel. (laughs) So I think that that was really helpful. And then we started to get busier and busier. And again, we went to hire another distiller. And again, it was really challenging. There were a lot of people with stars in their eyes who wanted to wear overalls and be you know, some icon on the cover of magazines or some like, you know, pickup driving badass, but like didn't really seem that interested in, I mean, half the time you're cleaning up after yourself and, you know, half the time you're hooking up and unhooking hoses or rolling out hoses (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, to pump things around. And, And it just became really challenging. And that's when Pete mentioned that Dylan, his brother, uh, was kind of looking about what he wanted to do next. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how it worked out that you ended up with us? Yeah, totally. Um, I was, uh, I kind of bounced around throughout college and then somewhere in my mid twenties, I finished up and was kind of weighing my options. I was thinking about getting into brewing or distilling. Um, I, you know, I'd homebrewed a bit in college and I was always interested in it. So, um, you know, that was something that I was thinking about in terms of a career. I was also looking at like grad school and, you know, uh, doctoral programs and things like that. I hadn't really decided on exactly where I wanted to go, what direction I wanted to go in. And, um, you know, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. I was working at this awful call center in, in rural Maine, uh, in the, the town I grew up in. And I got a call on my lunch break from Maggie who said, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, do you want to come in and, and interview, um, basically? And I said, okay, sure, that sounds cool. I don't really have anything else going on. So that, that you know, that sounds awesome. And I was interested in moving to Massachusetts at the time as well. So um, it all like kind of lined up and I met Andrew. And uh, according to him, he said, uh, I knew within the first five minutes I wanted to hire you. And I was thinking about how, how bad my grass looked the entire interview. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, I don't know. It just kind of took off from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, it was interesting because you had an interest in being a brewer and a distiller, but you saw us and you knew us and you knew what our work was like. You didn't have any misconceptions about what it would be. You had come down to the distillery and hung out while we were working on shift and, you knew that it was like a warehouse that was cold in winter and hot in summer (laughs) (laughs) Uh, filled with mosquitoes and you were okay with that. And, and it just gave me a lot of faith and we really, we really needed someone Um, at the time. Andrew was doing all of the fermenting and first distillation big ups, Andrew forever part (laughs) of the production team. And he just really needed to do bigger things at the company as the CEO. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And so we had you come in and start on brewing and distilling. And then a year later, teaching you distilling on the spirit still. And then just moving forward from there over the years to the last couple of years, really focusing on tasting of barrels and blending and selecting. And and here you are, you know, many, many, many years later, all grown up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And like a part of our team. And then... And Helica coming to us, oh my gosh, I remember this so clearly. Um, I love how the universe basically had you move here for this job. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. So, and Helica and I have known each other since, you know, she was born. 
Uh, our mothers were actually friends at high school. Uh, so we grew up in each other's lives and, um, you had come out to visit me because you were super into like Salem and witchy shit and Friday the 13th. And like years ago, like three or four years ago, Friday the 13th was in October. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to get an Helica ticket to come out to Salem and hang out on Friday the 13th in October in Salem. It'll be like nothing she's ever seen before. And you came out and you were like, you know, I'm thinking of getting out of Denver. And I really like this. And then you went home (laughs) and then then what happened from there? Well, um, yeah, so I was living in Colorado at the time and I, I love to travel and see new places and I'd just never seen the East coast and it had been a long time since I'd hung out with my best friend slash sister. So that was a wonderful trip. Um, and then, yeah, being back in Denver afterwards, um, I just decided that I was ready to move to Massachusetts. I didn't really have a plan. Um, I had left college at the time just because after three years of trying to go through the steps and take classes and figure out what degree track I wanted to be on, I really just couldn't figure it out. Um, So I decided to leave college and I was just kind of working a variety of jobs at restaurants and uh, front desk reception, things like that, just kind of like piecing together part-time jobs to get like 40 hours a week and a decent paycheck. And I was just really dissatisfied with that. Um, I've always just kind of wanted a job where I have like decent hours and decent pay and clear expectations. And that's really all I've ever been interested in to show up and like bring my best self forward. Um, So I did not know that I was going to be working at Privateer when I decided to move here, but I don't know. I just had a really good gut feeling about it. It just felt like the next right step for me and everything kind of just like Dylan said, you know, fell into place after that. It was like frozen too. You could see the future. So you did the next best thing. I did. Oh my God. (laughs) Anyways. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I remember I knew I was going to have to hire someone. I think I even put an ad out on like all the brewers forms. And I was traveling a lot and you had left me like a message that was like, hey, I know you're really busy, but when you get back to town, could you call me and talk to me about like how you figured out what you wanted to do? And you had no idea we were hiring. No. Because we hadn't talked because you were like mid-move, everything was wild. I was like, I'll leave, I'll leave her alone until she gets all settled and then we'll go do lunch or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had said, you know, I'm just really tired of piecing together multiple part-time jobs and overlapping schedules and feeling like I sit at a desk as a receptionist, um, you know, just trying to pass the hours of the day. I'm so bored. I want to feel like I literally went in and just did anything with this time that I'm spending (laughs) rather than just like sitting there trying to collect like minimum wage. Like you were so frustrated. You just wanted to feel like you did anything with your day. And I was like, this is my dream employee. Like, (laughs) It's so funny because I know distillers who will put ads out for like, oh, come and work the bottling line. And they're secretly hiring for a distiller because they just want to know that you'll show up and want to do work and not try to be like a cool distiller. (laughs) Um, I'm an aspiring distiller, you know, kind of skip that bullshit and like get to who wants to show up and do work. And I was like, yes, I can talk to you. (laughs) 
And uh, you sat down with Andrew and uh, how did that go? I, I don't think we've ever talked about your interview with Andrew. Yeah, well, I remember, so when I came in that day, I actually, I met with you and Dylan first. We sat down in the tasting room and talked together. And one of my favorite things about that day is when I arrived at the distillery, um, I found my senior picture from high school taped <laughs> up onto one of the one of the boards. That was just funny for me. But <laughs> yeah, then I met with Andrew and I mean, I was definitely nervous. Like I really wanted the job for sure. And I wanted to make a good impression. Um, and I just remember one thing that stuck with me is I asked him like, you know, when do you think you'd have a decision by and kind of things like that, just so I could like be prepared because I be moving is very expensive and <laughs> I needed to um, start making money. Um, and he said, well, it's really just up to the entire team. So it's whatever the team decides. And I don't know. I just really liked that. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. And I remember meeting with them after and being like, Dylan, this is really your choice. This is going to be your person. Um, and yeah, obviously history is writ. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm so thankful you joined us. and yeah, you've been with us for a while now. And I love, I always say like, you know, truly great service goes unnoticed. And when it comes to you, like I, I never have to think about you because everything <laughs> is just done. And that's how I feel about everyone on the team. Like everything is just done. And I know that I don't even see half the work you guys do because it's so seamless and so good. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like whatever I see, let me triple that. Okay, that's what their work day is like. Got it? Because um, you guys are so great at that. So, uh, Dylan, for you, what is a typical day like when you come in and get started at work? How does it go? Uh, so my 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 week definitely varies, but I would say. Uh, so the, so Monday and Fridays, uh, I'm generally speaking, I am distilling. Um, I am running the stills, both stills, um, either doing, you know, uh, emails or, you know, maybe barreling or something like that on the side, but generally focused on just those two stills. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's a bit of a grab bag. It's usually more tasting, harvesting, prepping all the casks for the week that we need to bottle getting everything proofed that needs to be proofed for bottling, getting everything kind of in line and set up, um, you know, meeting with the sales team to make sure that they have everything they need to be successful, um, you know, for that, you know, not only that week, but that month, um, you know, um, let's see, um, Generally, you know, I'd say that's that's pretty average, you know, meeting with the team. Obviously, I'm also the managing distiller. So I do do a bit of managing and talking to them and seeing, you know, what do they need? Is there anything I can do to help them? Is there anything that they, you know, need to talk to me about? Stuff like that. Um, Yeah, I think you like usually come in, put on your work boots, kind of get settled for the day. Um, And if you're firing up the still, you'll charge up the still, get it going. Yeah. make a head's cut and then really start to manage some other things that are going on, talk through the weekly schedule, you know, yes. what's going to get bottled, what's going to be harvested, what guests are we having? Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, something that you've seen me grow through uh, at work is 
I'm a bit of a control freak, which is <laughs> why I like to think that the rum is so good. Uh, but learning to hand stuff off. And I think something really important that's a part of your day to day now is, you know, when people come in and they want to buy their own barrel and they come in and they say to you and Kevin, you know, I really like this expression. I really like pot still. I really like earthy. I really like aromatic. I really want something silky. I really want something bone dry. They tell you kind of what they're into. Mm -hmm. And then you, along with Kevin, kind of pull, you pull the samples together of, you know, what it is they should taste and try. And you get them all set up with proofing water so they can try it at, you know, 114 proof or 90 proof or, you know, a hundred proof. Um, and you kind of prepare these different samples for them and lead them through this very technical, very high touch, very personal tasting of a rum that, you know, they're going to get this barrel bottled for them in their own bottle that they name themselves. And it's very personal. And I remember being like, thank God I work with these people because I just, trust you. I know you. I know you so well. I know that you're great at this. Um, and I think at a lot of businesses, that would be really hard um, for someone as particular as myself to, <laughs> do you like that nice mm -hmm. way to say it? Uh, what is it we say? Maggie has a plan. Like I always mm -hmm. have a plan for everything and it's like very mm -hmm. precise and this is how it's to be done. Uh, <laughs> and it's like very much learning to say, hey, this is the experience we want to create. How would you want to create it? How would you do this? How does this work for you? Um, mm -hmm. And you developing a lot of this stuff, you know, I've really been impressed that that's a really big part of your day. Um, and yeah, a lot of the, what's it like for you when you do a tasting? Say I'm like, hey, we're going to create this New England Reserve Rum. Uh, Describe what that's like from us sort of like meeting and talking mm -hmm. about the concept through you sort of presenting me with what you think the blend should be. Uh, well, well, first, I, I kind of look at the specs, you know, um, I look at what's the target audience, you know, what, what are we trying to create here? And then from there, I kind of come up with an idea of how I think that that particular audience, you know, what, what would they want, right? So for instance, with the New England Reserve, we're, you know, we're trying to come up with something that's like, you know, a little bit lower in proof, something that is, you know, um, great for like, you know, people who like to make cocktails at home, right? So I want to make something that is well-rounded and has a lot of uh, complexity to it, you know, not, not too much, but, you know, uh, enough, you know? And so really what I, what I do is um, I try to envision what that person would want to drink at home, basically. And I kind of go from there. So um, with the New England Reserve in particular, I had a little bit of experience building, um, you know, something similar to a coupe before. I had done that, uh, you know, previously with the, uh, you know, uh, the True American. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I was familiar with the process. So it wasn't like completely foreign to me. So I had an idea of like what, you know, you know, how I wanted to, to, to put this all together. Now, um, in terms of like more technical blends, that's, that's where it gets a little more tricky. And that, that's really the thing I think I enjoy the most, if I had to say as a distiller, that's probably my favorite part of the job, honestly. It is really looking to create these really unique, really high touch, 
really specific um, blends that, you know, are, you know, kind of at this point becoming more and more part of our, our signature lineup, you know? Yeah, and definitely. I definitely hear you. Um, I love that you just described New England Reserve Rum as lower proof because for folks who don't know, um, Overproof Campbell here really likes to do a lot of high strength rum. Mm. So for us, this lower proof Amber Reserve is going to be 90 proof. That's sort of, I think, the lowest proof we've ever done an aged rum at, um, which I'm very proud of. Uh, and yeah, it is this multi-purpose broad application. So it's sort of like picking rums that, like you said, give good complexity, but also don't make it so niche that it can't be really diverse and like be yeah. able to use in like a lot of broad application for a bartender or for someone mixing at home or for someone who just wants to put it over ice at home, which right. is a lot of people, you know, it's something that, you know, we talk about the, the meditazione spirits that you want in your glass to really open and meditate on very thoughtfully, very complex, very characterful. And this is one of more, you know, everyday pleasure, um, and so I really like you talking about that. And yeah, like you said, these more specialty high touch blends. Um, so Dylan, he mentioned a coupe, uh, which is basically as we begin to build a blend for rum, he and I will taste through and say, oh, you see how this one's got a great mid palette and this one's got a good finish, but it needs a top note, but a top note that's going to still give it weight on the mid palette because it needs a little more here. And we've worked together to build coupes to build blends that way. But Dylan was also a huge part of building our Habitation uh, aged blend and then the Velier Paradiseto uh, blend, which we haven't talked a lot about rolling out, but we definitely can. Um, as well as, you know, we talked about those custom single barrels. We definitely have people coming in and asking for custom blends, like five barrel mm -hmm. blends. They want yeah. a thousand bottles. Um, and yeah. yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about those, those high touch blends and bringing those together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, generally, yeah, we'll have like folks come in who, um, uh, is it okay to name names or should I keep those out? Um, let's not name names because I think some okay. of them are still surprise rollouts, but. Yeah. Okay, totally. Uh, so we had uh, an account that came in and we're very interested in kind of creating something that was unique. Um, and you know, like Maggie was saying, like one of these blends, right? So, um, we had, uh, some stuff set aside that we were, um, that were, you know, more or less experiments, you know, different types of rum that we were working on and, um, kind of, uh, you know, crafting. And so, uh, we had these resting in tanks for several months. So I went ahead and, you know, sample, you know, walk them through like, okay, this would be like a 60, 40, this would be a 70, 30, this is this proof, this is that proof. Um, and tried to kind of help guide them through what they're looking for because, you know, they might have an idea of what they like and what they think tastes well, but they don't necessarily know where they want to go, you know, and that's, what's important. That's what, you know, whether it's a barrel blend or, you know, any, any type of blend really, um, whenever I talk to the customer, the first thing I try to do is really hone in on what, spirit, um, you know, particularly VARs, that they actually really enjoy, whether that's, you know, the Trey Armatique or that, um, uh, you know, Navy Yard, you know, you name one of our spirits and they're like, okay, I, I tend to like something like this. So if somebody, for instance, says, I really like Navy Yard, to me, that means they like that new American oak. They really like that 
you know, that, that strong body. They like the vanilla, the toasted coconut. They like all those, those things. So for me, that's what I try to gravitate towards is something with a really strong body, you know, really warming, great on the palate. And, you know, whereas like somebody who's like, oh, I tend to like pale queen chair. They're going to be somebody that I'm going to try to create a very complex blend, you know, for. Uh, somebody that's going to really like that elegance, that that extra level of complexity that you get from those used casks, you know. And I think that you've done a really great job, everyone, uh, in creating this very custom white rum. Like it's not always the aged stock, although we love it and we love working with it. Uh, you guys have done some really, really cool stuff um, with white rum where you and I sat down and you know, came up with some different recipes and some different ideas. So we had, you know, six different distillates. We had three pot distillates that were all very different and three column distillates that were all very different. And while I was out of town, you and Kevin totally ran the show of, you know, bringing this bartender and this bar team in. They sat down and they tasted through all the different elements and decided exactly what they wanted their pot distillate to be and what they wanted their column distillate to be and exactly mm -hmm. what percent mm -hmm. of which they wanted and yeah. what final proof they wanted to perfectly match their cocktail style at their bar. And I mm -hmm. don't know another distillery that's really been able to do it that personally and, and bottle them exactly how much they wanted. Yeah. Uh, so how was working on that project? I was super jealous. <laughs> while I, was I was really glad that we developed it together. Yeah, heating it together, but really, like you ran that day with them. Yeah, totally. Um, it was great. Um, they came in. Um, the 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 account that was in are, are very talented tasters. They're very very talented at what they do. So they um, had a very strong sense of what they like, what they didn't like, and um, you know. But at the same time, we're very open to talking about specific flavor profiles and like how we could you know try to create those. Um, with various blending tools and things like that. So, um, yeah, you know, I just, I brought them in. We, we um, they also were interested in a barrel, so we did that. Uh, and after they were done tasting the barrel, we went through this whole blending process of, you know, really dialing in exactly what they wanted. They wanted something a little bit, you know, not too high in proof, but something a little bit higher than like a normal, typical white. Um, they wanted something that had a little bit of extra texture to it, a little bit of extra flavor to it. So I, you know, kind of steered them more towards incorporating more of the pot still. Um, I won't give away their total blend, but you know, they, there's definitely pot still in their blend. And so, uh, you know, they had, uh, what they, what they ended up on, I think is some of the best white rum, you know, we've released. And it was very cool to have that collaboration with, you know, two other very talented individuals who know, you know, who are very good at tasting and know a lot about, you know, what they're, what they're looking for. Yeah. It's funny. People will often ask me about the barrel program. They're like, well, what if someone picks something you don't like? And I was like, you do not understand the pre-screening that goes okay. in <laughs> to us right. showing these rums to people where you go through and you taste over many, many days of work, essentially mm -hmm. the entire barrel house twice oh, yeah. a year and really take notes on every single cask and where it's at and we know exactly what it is we're showing and it's only we only show stuff we would say you know is we're really proud to put our name on um there's a lot yeah. of screening that goes into this yeah absolutely 
Awesome. Well, Angelica, what is your day like when you arrive at the distillery? How does your day go? Yeah. So a typical day for me, um, if we were like ramped up to full speed is I would do, um, I would put together 2000 gallons of fermentation in a day. And I would also be distilling 2000, I would be stripping 2000 gallons of uh, fermented wash at the same time. Yeah. So you would be sort of arriving, kicking on your boots, putting on some tunes because the stereo is whomever gets to it first and no mm-hmm. one can make fun of anyone else's music. Uh, <laughs> and I can always tell exactly who's in control of the stereo by the time I pull up. And, <laughs> and, yes. uh, and I love that. It makes me really happy. And yes. Listeners can take pleasure in the fact of knowing that their rum that they're drinking was absolutely made while I was like blasting Carly Rae Jepsen or Taylor Swift or or someone like that. Britney Spears. Just <laughs> yes. My favorite is like one of your first days. Like I know you well, but the rest of the team was getting to know you and you were like pushing yourself along in your rolly chair, your office chair, while like <laughs> picking your legs up and like throwing your arms up and singing. And people were like, okay. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Get ready. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I love it. You're always dancing on top of the wash kettle. It's fantastic. True. Very safely, safety first. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we. Um, so you'll go in and you'll hook up the first distillation. So you'll connect all the hoses. You'll pump the wash over. You'll turn on the still and get that still rolling. And then once that still's kind of rolling along, so that's about a four-hour distillation you'll turn back over and start putting together a fermentation while that finishes distilling out, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you switch the still over at about lunchtime and then start putting together your second fermentation. So I actually usually get both fermentations done um, in the morning by the time my first stripping run is complete. And then that gives the wash... Yeah, and then that gives the wash a chance to cool off um, so that it'll be ready for me to pitch my yeast in the afternoon. That's right. That's right. And then a lot of cleaning. I know the end of all of our days is basically two hours of cleaning tanks. (laughs) Lots and lots of cleaning and prepping for the next day. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, and you've like learned a lot about the science of fermentation. I know when Dylan was doing all of our fermentation, he stepped up our recipes amazingly to like be a lot more on point more aromatic and like just tighter it was amazing how he just tightened those up and then when you came on you also took steps um by working sort of hand in hand with a technical specialist to like again kind of step up our fermentations which is always a process i think people who aren't in this job think like oh you just tweak it but like no you tweak it and you take meticulous notes and you see how Mm -hmm. it goes and then you return to your notes and then you tweak it again and then there's all these unintended consequences and yes (laughs) when both you and dylan um turned our fermentations up on both occasions like we started making a lot more of our low wines meaning our first distillation was more fruitful and we had like tank space issues. I'm like, where am I supposed to put this all, guys? Great. Thanks yeah. for doing your job so well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something we could all relate to. And yeah. yeah and sure. so at the end of the day, you've usually created how many low ones? Um, I would say an average 
an average run for me, I would get like 180 to 200. So then I would probably get like close to 400 at the end of the day. Yeah. And then Dylan, when you're done distilling in a day on mm-hmm. the second distillation, how many barrels are you usually filling at the end of that day? Uh, we're looking at about three and a half barrels. Awesome. Total. That's great. So that means in a week, it's quite a bit. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I remember um, walking around Stranahan's many years ago, and they had these signs up everywhere. It said, are you 18? And it was like, mm-hmm. are you prepared for the day when we are making 18 barrels a week? And I remember when we started kind of hitting 18 barrels a week and being like, yeah, I'm prepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so for both you guys, how is being a distiller different than, so I'll start with Angelica. How is being a distiller different than maybe you thought it would be when you first got called to come interview? Um, I mean, I really didn't have any expectations to be honest, just because I I mean, as we all know, like I, I came in completely green. So I, I didn't really know what to expect at all. I know I was definitely nervous about having such a physically demanding job just because I don't know, I've never really thought of myself as like a strong individual or like somebody that could handle something like that on a regular basis. Um, I was definitely nervous about that going in. Um, but I've actually been like really pleasantly surprised that it's, it's like fun and enjoyable for me. This is my first job where I really get to like work with my body and like work with my hands all day and get messy and creative. And that is just really fun and exciting for me. Um, the yeast in the afternoon when I create my mix to pitch my yeast is absolutely my favorite part of the day. And yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just really fun and intimate. And I guess I wasn't really expecting that um, to have such a personal connection with, with like, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's like, it feels like a part of me is like in the wash that I make, especially now that I like hand mix my yeast and have a whole set of rituals around that in particular. No, I, th- I think that's really interesting that I think you can really taste um, us in the spirit, especially because our spirit's really low manipulation. You know, we're Mm -hmm. not sweetening it. We're not artificially coloring it. We're not adding age flavor or oak flavor. We're not even filtering it. It's very minimal intervention. So I feel like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys tease me because I can taste a barrel and tell you who distilled it, Mm -hmm. you know, very easily because I think we can really taste like, oh, this one's clearly a Pete barrel. This one's clearly a Dylan barrel. I remember Dylan and I, do you remember tasting a barrel a while ago? And we were like, who the fuck distilled this barrel? It's so different. Like we loved it. But I <laughs> yeah. was like, I was like, I don't think this is us. And then we went way back in the records and Andrew had shadowed that day and he was running the spirit still. I thought that <laughs> was we were like, we nailed it man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I do think you can really taste us in the spirit. And it's funny, like, you know, we're getting interviewed a lot about making alcohol for this sanitizer for this pandemic, because a lot of hospitals, they have everything they need. They have the packaging, which has to be very specific packaging. And, you know, they have all the ingredients, but they don't have the alcohol. So I'm really happy to be supplying them this alcohol, but there's something about it 
where, you know, this is a time where none of us are touching, right? Like, oh, what I wouldn't give to give each one of you a hug. We can't even talk about it. I will cry. No, I will cry. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we can't touch each other. But here is this, like, and what we make people already put in their bodies, which is a lot of trust and, like, a lot of responsibility. So, like, here is this thing that we make that's now, like, people are putting on their hands and, like, rubbing on their bodies and on their hands to feel, like, safe and to feel cared for and to feel okay. And, like, okay, we can't touch any of these people, but we kind of get to touch these people, you know? Like, there's something about, like that connection that feels really special like like a little of us is like there obviously not doing the wildly hard difficult and terrifying challenging and brave work that all of those people are doing but it's like in some small way like we're connecting with all these people and we're part of their care and that feels really like Mm -hmm. special because like you said you feel like you're in it a little bit like sometimes it's a little rough like you're like okay I have to emotionally separate myself from (laughs) this product, because you feel so Mm -hmm. tied to it. I don't know. Do you guys ever get a sense of that? I do. I definitely do. And like, I mean, I definitely have like practices around like current events and stuff. So like usually when I am putting together fermentation or like when I'm putting together my yeast to mix, for example, like if it's a full moon, like it is today, I would probably like, you know, set some sort of like affirmation or intention around, um, that and like just have that be part of my daily practice that day so like when I was distilling last week I kind of did something similar where I knew that we were making these low wines like with I well I knew I was making these low wines like with the intention of having the end result be spirit that we donate to hospitals and things like that and that was definitely um like I had set moments aside throughout the day to put those intentions specifically into this product that I was creating Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and love it does feel our, very personal in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that at our workplace we like we let people be themselves and I love that you share that and you share that with us and it's nothing like like we just want people to be themselves at work and like we're not trying to yeah. pull everyone or make everyone be a certain way. Like we love that you're doing that. That's awesome and Mm. Yeah, and I think that speaks a lot to the culture. Dylan, when the rum is out in the world, does it mm-hmm. feel a little too personal sometimes for you? <laughs> um, honestly, I, I, I really don't. I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I feel more like when I see like rum at a store or on a, a bar shelf or anything like that, or you know, if somebody sends me a picture of it at their house, I mostly just feel very honored um, and very uh, thankful that people care about what we do, um, and are interested. And it's not, it's like, I feel like a, like, yes, there's like a little bit of a personal connection there. It's like, yeah, I made that. But at the same time, it's mostly this kind of, um, almost humbling effect of like, that's very cool that people are very, that interested in passion, uh, passionate about what we do, you know? Yeah, I get that too, where I definitely, feel like once it leaves the distillery it's not ours anymore and uh, and it belongs to the people who have it so i definitely relate to that for sure um and it does it feels like uh, for me having always dreamed of being at a distillery uh you know it's pretty amazing it's funny pete and i um we're listening to the dr jess podcast 
And, uh, mm-hmm. and there was this question about like, what's one of your warmest memories? And we were talking over dinner about like, what are our warmest memories, man? And of course we had some like really nice personal ones and some ones about, you know, our little family. Um, but we also like one of my warmest memories was a phone call I got from Wayne Curtis about this cocktail tasting he had done with these like pros at a really serious event. And that the rum that was in the top cocktail, everyone was really shocked that it was like our rum. And I didn't even know like our rum was even a part of these entries in any way, whatever. And it just like, (laughs) obviously like the craft of the bartender is what made that cocktail so special. But to know that like what we put in it could be that for them. I like, I remember just like feeling like I was flying when I drove home that mm-hmm. like, I am like living my fucking dream from the last yeah. 15 years it <laughs> happened mm-hmm. um, and so there's definitely moments like that that are like really really special mm-hmm. um, and like yeah some of my warmest memories of my whole life is because of like that it's out in the world and it's this real thing um, which is always shocking uh, <laughs> and surprising to remember and <laughs> Yeah, how does it feel? So I'll ask Dylan first. How does it feel when you're sitting at a bar and someone you don't know at all yeah. uh, like orders a privateer cocktail or you know what the privateer cocktail is and you see someone like making it and sending it out and over to a table? Uh, I actually have a really good story about something, basically this exact scenario happening uh, relatively recently. Uh, it w- I guess it wasn't recently at this point, but um, yeah. So anyway, uh, I was at a bar in Salem and I was, uh, I was with my fiance and we were having a couple drinks and uh, a few seats down from us, this couple was, uh, they really liked this one type of gin and they didn't have it at the, at this bar because the bar was, you know, a little bit limited selection, but they had privateer. So they were like, well, you know, can you tell us a little bit about this gin? Why should we care? What are, you know, whatever. And the bartender was kind of struggling where he was like, oh, I know it's made somewhere nearby. And, you know, I kind of interjected and I was like, oh yeah, like it's made in Ipswich. Like I work there, you know, I'm a distiller there. Like, you know, I'm happy to talk to you. And I just kind of started having a chat with them and you know about what makes our gin special and you know why should they care and uh sure enough they they ordered a cocktail with the gin and they loved it and they said you know that they you know very thankful um so not exactly that exact scenario you described but you know similar in that um i love it i love talking to folks i think it's very cool um and i love interacting uh with the fans and hearing what they think and trying to internalize that and, and turn that into you know, how can we make things better? How can we keep expanding upon what we're doing? Um, and I love it. I think that, you know, that's, uh, in, you know, one of my favorite things, you know, like uh, accoutrements, if you will, to to the job itself is is um, actually getting to talk to the fans one-on-one, you know, and just like, like that exact scenario, you know, just at the bar, having a couple cocktails, you know, just talking about what we like and, you know, and why we like it. Yeah, and similar to that, Obviously, part of being a distiller is having a lot of patience. So I don't think people realize when you started a distillery, it's going to be many years before something you actually did the final distillation on really goes into a bottle and goes out the door, especially on aged product. I kind of remember when this happened. 
but what do you remember feeling when really like the first rum that was really like you had a very big hand in started going out the door? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, you kind of cut, uh, was that, how did I feel? Yeah, yeah. How did you feel? Oh, uh, it, it was, I, I will say it, it definitely took a little while. Um, it wasn't an immediate reaction. It wasn't like a, you know, I'd been working at Privateer for six months and I saw the Silver Reserve on a shelf. You know, at, th- at that time it was Silver Reserve. So I hadn't seen the Silver Reserve on a shelf and I was like, oh yeah, I made, I directly made that. It wasn't until I would say like the second or maybe third year that I, I worked at Privateer where I had just, by that point I had tasted hundreds of barrels and I had just had a hand in like literally everything at that point. Like you were saying, you know, I worked like basically every job in the distillery that I really started to get a sense of how grand it is because it is like you're saying, it's such a delayed thing. Um, especially, you know, I came in essentially green and, uh, having that not really understanding the gravity of distilling versus brewing, which the only real, you know, that was the only real comparison I had, which, you know, brewing is their time scale is much, much smaller. Right. Um, and so to, you know, it definitely, it, very similar to how a barrel develops. It was the same thing with my awareness of, you know, growing an appreciation for just everything, you know? Um, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. That still happens to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It still happens to me where I'm yeah. like, Oh fuck. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah sorry. F word in this episode. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Angelica, for you, you know, how do you feel when you're out and about and you see someone order some privateer or they don't know who you are? I think a lot of people don't know who you are um, when they don't know who you are and they're talking about privateer and you overhear it. How is that? I mean, it's always fun to share that I'm a part of privateers because like we have you know, a fan base that gets very excited about us, especially locally. Um, But I would say another thing that I really enjoyed is just the friends that I've made um, throughout, like, other distilleries and things like that, just getting to be a part of this world and um, meeting new people from other distilleries when I go to ACSA or Tales of the Cocktail. And now that, you know, we're friends, like, on social media and things like that. And I don't know that being a part of that world has been really fun and exciting and meaningful. Um, just getting to see how other people do things differently and like sharing ideas and things like that and just learning off of each other. And I feel like I'm through privateer. I feel like I have this like support system in my life where I have professional friends now that I'm also friends with in my personal life, but it's just really cool to feel connected in that way. Yeah. I love that when I travel, that everyone is always asking, you know, how is Dylan? How is Angelica? <laughs> Gail Seal is like, oh my God, I saw Angelica's makeup the other day. It was so great. I'm like, Gail oh. from Foursquare? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're like tagging each other in funny cat memes. <laughs> yeah. As actually, I was just talking to her the other day about, um, you know, Oceania, Asia Pacific, um, and a lot of her favorite bars around there. And we were both talking about Japan. And I was like, have you spent much time there? And she was like, you know, or be honest, no. And I was like, yeah, me neither. 
actually Dylan is the person who's like really <laughs> spent a meaningful amount of time in Japan. And like, you came back with all this, like, okay, these are the bars and this is what's up. <laughs> <laughs> totally. He's like, oh, I got to talk to Dylan about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat today. Yeah, I know we could talk on and on and on. Yeah, um, totally. But I guess the last question I'll ask you is, working at Privateer, what is different about the company and the culture and your coworkers that like you like the most and is different than any other job you've had before? I'll start with Dylan. Um, that's, that's a very good question. Um, so most of my pre-distilling career was spent at, uh, you know, random, you know, uh, call centers, things like that. So I, I will say it is, a, there is much more uh, freedom, I would say overall, um, you know, things are still expected to be done a certain way, but it's not as, uh, you don't feel like you have people constantly surveilling you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not constantly like under the watch of, you know, the higher ups or whoever, you know, you're not constantly being, you're not constantly having to justify everything that you're doing. You know, there's a lot of trust there where it's like, okay, I know that Dylan's going to get the work done. But he knows what's expected. He knows what orders need to be filled, what pallets need to go out, what barrels need to be harvested. And I appreciate that. You know, I really do. Yeah. I definitely get what you're saying. I've had jobs previously where you feel really monitored, like they're monitoring you. Like yeah, if they totally. by your computer and you were looking at the wrong thing, you'd have to click your screen over. Oh yeah. You know? And like here it's like, Oh Pete, how is that article in the New Yorker? You know, <laughs> right? Totally. <laughs> we're totally about letting like people know what they got to do in a day and it's theirs to get done. And if you want to stop and play some magic, the gathering while you're waiting for something like, <laughs> there's none of this like there's time to lean there's time to clean like none of that right, right. and i really appreciate that it's like you're treated like a very very much like an adult yeah totally and helica same question to you yeah i mean i definitely totally agree with dylan like it is this is a probably like the first job i've had where i do feel like i'm just treated like an adult and like but beyond that also just like respected as a fucking human being you know like like I just feel like I'm able to like really like set up my day and make my own decisions you know like if there was really bad traffic and I happened to get in 10 minutes late it doesn't it's not a big thing it's just like okay that means I start my day 10 minutes later and that's really not a problem not a big deal you know, I've had jobs where I don't feel comfortable being openly queer or things like that. And like you were saying earlier, this is really just a place where not only is it just a place where we can be ourselves, but that's also celebrated. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you started, you were so excited that like your hair could be whatever color. Yeah. You could have whatever tattoo, wherever you wanted. I remember that being very important to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we're like, yeah, why would that be any of our business? Like, what? Like, no, I'm never policed on social media, which is something I was really worried about um, at previous jobs. Like, if I spoke my mind about, you know, this political situation or corruption or, like, you know, was calling out some really, like, bad practices, would I 
you know, would everyone have a comment on my behavior? You know, like I get mm-hmm. to do whatever I want and I, I don't feel watched, um, he said. And I also love that you guys mentioned like, um, you know, earlier I mentioned by the time I get into work and like you had mentioned coming in late, like I like that we're really allowed to set our own start and stop time. Like if we have a group meeting with a set time, we always text each other if we're going to be late. But yeah, otherwise, totally. like... Yeah, like you know what you're going to do that day. We like everyone to be at working hours somewhat together. Like we want you to be there Monday through Friday during the daytime-ish so that we're all working together so communication is good. But yeah, if you want to come in at 7 a.m., if you want to come in at 10 a.m., if you want to come in at 11, like it's really up to everyone to know what their work is for the day. And I also love that when your work is done for the day, you can go home. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I had jobs that were more like nine to five before, uh, you know, I was, um, I worked at like a publisher at an internship during college and he would just sit there from like three 30 to five with nothing to do. Your work was done, but you weren't supposed to leave. And like, mm. yeah, we're like, see you later. <laughs> Cause we know that there's going to be days where the equipment isn't working or the weather's really hot and you are going to be there longer. Yeah. Um, and it's just going to work out at the end. And, and I really appreciate totally. that. And yeah. And like everyone can take time off that they need. If you want to go on a trip, you just say, Hey, I want to go and we work it out. I think that's really yeah, great. Totally. I remember, yeah. I remember vacation policies at previous jobs being a nightmare. At Jermaine Robon, it was pretty good. Um, but yeah, I definitely know places before that were just like, if you wanted to take a day off, like good luck. Um, oh yeah, for sure. It just was not going to happen and you were going to feel bad about it. And I love that Andrew sets the tone. Like when he's like, I'm on vacation, you will not get a hold of that man. <laughs> like he will not answer <laughs> right. his phone. He will not answer his email. And it's great because then when I go out of town, I'm like, screw that. You're not getting a hold of me. It's not like we are <laughs> take time off whenever you want. As long as you essentially work remotely, like you really take time off. Um, and I like that we're speak up and speak out. Um, you know, I definitely had worked places before where I did not feel okay in the power dynamic at work to speak up or speak out. And I like that we do all that we can um, to foster that stuff. So, totally. yeah. yeah. And just healthcare. <laughs> and, you yeah, know, healthcare right. is nice. <laughs> healthcare, paternity time, maternity time for those who need it. Um, family first. That's always been a big thing. Um, you know, if my sister needs me, I can just get on a plane and email yeah. later. <laughs> hey guys, my <laughs> sister needed me. I'm gone. Bye. Right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Well, thank you guys for taking time to yeah, chat. No problem. No sharing problem. a little bit about what your, life, yeah, what your life is like. Cause people are always asking me and I think it's important people know that you guys are two of the biggest hearts mm-hmm. making their rum happen. Thank you all for spending your time with us today. I hope you enjoyed my chat with the distilling team here at Privateer, and we've got more technical and detailed podcasts coming up for you too. Please join us next time and stay safe. You can find us at Privateer Rum on Instagram and also Privateer Rum on Facebook. And you can find me at Half Pint Maggie on Instagram. Thank you again.